Hello, I'm Carol Tonieri, Chief Curator at the Norton Simon Museum. In October 2009, the museum welcomes the arrival of the Frick Collection's mesmerizing portrait of the Comtesse d'Ossanville by the French 19th century master Jean-Auguste Dominique Ingres. In honor of this special loan, the museum has organized Gaze, Portraiture After Ingres, a fascinating exhibition of close to 150 paintings, sculpture, and photographs from the Norton Simon collections, along with a few neighborly loans of photographs from the Getty and LACMA. In this podcast, curator Leah Lembeck traces artistic engagements with portraiture following Ang's influence in the early to mid-19th century through to the present day. And she examines why this genre, so seemingly laden with restrictions and expectations, appealed to some of the greatest avant-garde painters in the history of art. I hope you enjoy listening. Ingres came out of a really academic background, and his primary focus was history painting, grand historical themes from the Greek and Roman past. In an effort to make money, he, like many painters at the time, painted commissioned portraiture. One of the reasons why portraiture was so prevalent at the time, particularly at the time of the Contesto Saint-Ville, which was mid-century, was because of the political sort of instability in France. France, from the revolution in 1789, went through various republics, revolutions, monarchies, and none of them really lasted any more than two decades. During those times, you have both the growing bourgeoisie as well as kind of a class instability. And I think part of the reason why portraiture was so popular was both people were trying to situate themselves in a class and identify with a class and have some sense of solidity, but at the same time, they were also growing in wealth. Conventional portraiture, I think, is one of those things that had developed since the Renaissance. You see bust height, standing or seated figures. They're usually by themselves. The intent, you know, was to present a public face. So you tend to have items that reflect the sitter's taste and social class. Usually with women, it tends to be things like flowers and rich fabrics and a well-appointed interior. And with men, it tends to be things of a more intellectual nature, medals or honors that they received in professional life, books they're reading, their thinking. They tend to be the solo focus of the picture. By the time Ang died in 1867, he was arguably the most famous and most well-recognized painter in France. And while he probably would have been horrified at the fact that his portraits were the things for which he was best known, they nevertheless had a great influence on the artists to come. After Ang... The Impressionists and the Post-Impressionists turned to their own world. They turned to their fellow Parisians and the the characters that surrounded them. And in the case of portraiture, that was no different. They looked to their wives and their friends and even the types on the street, the rag picker or the cabaret singer or even the prostitute. And so it becomes a little bit difficult to categorize portraiture because... Did the impressionist painter, like Degas, did he intend it as a portrait? And what does that mean? 
I think Impressionists and Post-Impressionists were really the first group of artists to promote style in many ways over the subject matter. They were interested in the gesture of the artist, the expressive nature of the brush, of the pen, of whatever it was, the pastel. And in some cases, that takes precedence and a priority over the actual subject matter. And in the case of portraiture, that's pretty radical because you have the artist and his style being more important than the sitter. In the early 20th century, you have the first non-objective painting made. You would think in a, in a way that would be the end of portraiture because the whole point of portraiture, again, is to present a person that one can identify. But the opposite seems to be true. Many of the artists who were the most progressive in the 20th century stuck to portraiture. And in a way, it's interesting. It's as though they saw in portraiture an advantage because of all of its expectations and its conventions. I mean, you have the Cubists doing the same thing with portraits that you have them doing with still lifes. You know, the planar faceting of the face and this play in two and three dimensions that they were so concerned with. The German Expressionists the same way. They have this virtuous brush and really expressive line. By the time you get to somebody like Picasso and his famous portrait of Marie-Thérèse Walter, who was one of his lovers, and this one in particular is actually based on an ang, and yet he changes the mode almost completely. I mean, she is sitting there with a dreamy look, but her face is green, her breasts are showing, there's like a riot of color, oranges next to purples next to blues, and you can't really tell if she's, you know, exactly her proportions, her, her physical self. And yet she's still seated in an armchair. She has a framed mirror behind her. All of these devices, which are the same, which Picasso's kind of updating. By the time we get to the middle of the 20th century, the 1950s and 1960s, portraiture takes on a sort of different tone. And particularly when we're talking about artists who engage with the popular culture of the time, Andy Warhol, Robert Rauschenberg, even Joseph Cornell in some ways, portraiture takes on a different meaning because it is so laden with these conventions. What's so interesting is if you think about Andy Warhol's portrait of Jacqueline Kennedy, for example, I mean, knowing that portraiture was intended to A, identify a singular person, and B, show them at their best. And then you have Andy Warhol's portrait of Jackie on the day of her husband's funeral. And furthermore, it's a photograph that he used, and he replicated it twice. It gathers a whole different kind of meaning. It seems as though Andy Warhol picked a portrait because of these conventions, and adding that to sort of the picture overall makes his screen print sort of more compelling. There are a couple of things I would like visitors to take away. I think the first thing is I'd like them to get an idea of the context for our visiting painting and just understand the political and social context in which it was made. And then from there, I really wanted to discuss the development of portraiture to explore what happens to it after Ang and what kind of influence he may or may not have had. 
as I see it, there, there's such a definitive turning point for portraiture, and it comes along with a definitive turning point in the history of art. I mean, modern art essentially begins in the 60s and 70s of the 19th century. And because of that, I've always seen a connection between the development of modern art and the development of portraiture. And that's one of the things I really wanted to explore here and see if we could discover anything new out of it. Mm -hmm. 